Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series that we've been in for a little bit called Full Life. And if you've been with us, you are probably aware that this series comes out of John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so each week we've been talking about our longing for full life and how our lives are full, but not always full of what Jesus came to give us. Often they're full of substitutes and counterfeits. And so each week we're looking at another aspect of that full life and how can we have more and more of it. A few days ago, uh, we had one of those surprising nights where we had no kid activities. And so my wife, Abby, and I decided to go out. And she decided she was going to surprise me. And so we start driving, and I have no idea where we're going, until we pull up right outside this indoor rock climbing gym. (laughs) And yes, we are going inside. And yes, I am unprepared for this wearing corduroy pants. And I have to get into the harness. <laughs> so we get this quick crash course on, on the knots and on the harness. And both of us have done this in the past. So we begin climbing and we're having a great time. And I get to the top of this wall, which is probably 40 or so feet up. And you get this, to this moment where, well, it's time to go down. And what you're supposed to do is sit back on the rope and let go. And allow the person at the bottom to control you with the rope and the equipment that they have. And you have this moment, and I have this moment where the heart skips a beat. And I'm like, is she really ready? How good was this crash course? And I'm trying to ask her if she's ready, but I'm up there. She can't really hear me. And so I have to finally just let go and sit back. And I am grateful that I did not crash to the floor. I'm here to tell you the story. And I've known about rock climbing over the years, having been in Colorado, and I've marveled at these stories of people who are incredible at it, especially those who do free climbing, which means they have no ropes, no harnesses, often go alone. And these are incredible stories, but they often, as you can guess, do end in tragedy. See, because climbing, rock climbing, is really meant to be a team sport. It's meant to be done in relationship with a partner, in community, in order that it can be experienced fully in its triumph when you get to the top, but also in those moments of failure, when you slip and fall. Those are the moments where your partner is there to catch you. And see, the same is true of full life in Jesus Christ. Full life is intended to be experienced in relationship, in community, in the triumphs and in the failures. And that's what we're going to jump into more fully this morning as we read from Romans chapter 12. And I invite you, if you'd like to follow along on the screen as we listen for God's word for us this morning. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with the people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, will you add your blessing to the reading, to the proclaiming, and the hearing of your word, that we may have the full life that Jesus came to give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul has given us in this passage a very powerful picture of full life in relationship. Most of the commands in this passage are about relational interactions between people. And yet, America is experiencing a friendship recession. That's not a phrase that I made up. It actually came out of a major study that happened last year in 2021 from the Survey Center on American Life. And in this survey, they found that Americans have fewer close friends, spend less time connecting with their friends, and rely less on friends for support than any time that we could ever know of. I've got this slide for you. It's talking about the percentage of Americans or of friendships for close Americans. And if we can go to the other one, if you've got that right there. So in this slide, what you see is that on the left side, this is 2021. On the right side is 1990. And it goes from zero on the left side all the way down to 10 or more. And so what this is telling you is that in 1990, 3% of Americans reported that they had zero close friends. And as sad as that was, that even 3% said that, then in 2021, that is up to 12%. 12% of Americans say that they have no one that they can talk to that is a close friend outside of their family. Also in 2021, a third of Americans had two or fewer close friends. Whereas in 1990, a third of Americans had 10 or more close friends. That number last year was down to 13%. See, and that's just the numbers, but as you consider your life, does this ring true? Why is this? <clears throat> Why are we in a friend recession in America? I'm not going to pretend to have all of the answers because certainly we'll have some reflections on that this morning. This survey points to COVID as one reality, and it certainly has had a devastating effect on many friendships. And yet, these trends had started well before COVID. There's other trends. Americans are marrying much later, working longer hours, traveling more for work, 
Once Americans do get married, an interesting thing that the survey found was that parents now are spending twice as much time with their children than previous generations. Twice as much time. And that's remarkable considering most homes today are two-income working families. And so it would seem like there would be much less time to spend with children, and yet the survey found twice as much time is being spent with children. And and that's not all bad. Don't get get me wrong. And yet one of the ramifications of this reprioritization of time is that friendships among parents have been pushed to the side. Because friendships take time. Friendships are inconvenient that way. And these numbers only get worse for men. If we go back to that other slide real quick. That other slide was telling you that this is the percentage of men, for instance, who have received emotional support from a friend, the other slide, in the last week. Only 20% of men say that they have received emotional support from a friend in the last week. I mean, it's only just over 40% for women, so it's not that great, but it is more than twice as much. Only 30% of men have even had a private conversation in which personal feelings or problems were shared with a friend in the last week. We are living, the reality is, more and more and more isolated, and perhaps this is part of why we are experiencing a lack of the full life that we long for. Because the full life Jesus came to give us was life together, doing life with others in deep and meaningful and close relationships. So who are you doing life with? Who are you really sharing life with outside of your immediate family? Because full life that Jesus came to give is full life in him, in Christ And in Christ, we are in relationship with one another. The Bible uses a variety of images to describe this reality. Sometimes we think of the followers of Jesus as the church. Well, then we get confused between the people and the building. But the church is a people. God's people in particular. We're called the temple of the Holy Spirit together, but maybe most potently, we're called the body of Christ. All of these images remind us that we are knit and tied together, inseparably connected as followers of Jesus. This is a reality deeper than our experience, deeper than our behaviors, and yet Paul is inviting us to be intentional about living into that reality. He's saying, be devoted to one another in love. Specifically, that word is in brotherly love, in familially, in familial love. But maybe that's part of the challenge. Because I'm going to let you in on a little secret this morning. Being in a family is hard. (laughs) I know, that's breaking news. Because there are no perfect families. Right? Families are dysfunctional. Families disappoint us. Families hurt us. To be devoted to family is to be intentional and committed even when we've been hurt and wronged and disappointed and when things are messy. But we've become so accustomed as Americans to just kind of cutting ourselves off when things get hard. We live in a replacement culture, not a repair culture. And so a friend has hurt us, and so it's easier to just say, well, out with you, I'll get a new one. We treat friends like refrigerators. 
because it's hard. It's hard to be in those close relationships with that intentionality, and it takes work. But I think also these kinds of relationships that we're talking about, these can be scary. Because what happens if you let somebody in, somebody that close, they get to really know you. What if you let them in and they don't like you? They find you annoying. They see your failure. What if they are not devoted to you in love? What if they're just weird and they just want more time from you? What if they take your secrets and use them against you or share them with somebody else? Right? These are the risks of community. And Paul is contrasting in this passage all of these natural and yet selfish human tendencies in relationships. These tendencies towards self-preservation, self-protection, sinfulness, selfishness, right? And he's contrasting that with full life in relationship with others that Jesus intends to give us. And so Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. This is part of what it looks like. But man, that's really difficult. Because that might mean that I need to rejoice with someone when all I'm really feeling is my own disappointment and my own failure. <laughs> so much of our energy, I think, gets caught up in comparing ourselves and our lives with other people. Their successes, their joys, when things are going well for them, man, all that can highlight at times for us is how much life stinks for us right now. And it can reinforce our jealousy, our self-absorption. Which is maybe why right after this, Paul says, honor others above yourselves. Put them first. Prioritize their triumphs, their successes, their joys over our own. <laughs> as a matter of fact, even rejoice in their triumph as if they're our triumphs. And if we are one body, then that's actually a true reality. But the other side of rejoicing is mourning, isn't it? Paul says, mourn with those who mourn. In other words, share someone's pain and their grief. But in order to do that, we actually have to be close enough to them to even know that they're experiencing loss. And sometimes it's obvious you know, in the loss of a loved one, it becomes prominent and pronounced. But there's all sorts of other ways that we experience loss day in and day out, burdens and grief. Sometimes it's happening in quiet and secret ways that can be easily hidden unless we draw close and even draw it out. Those losses of daily functionality, the loss of jobs, the loss of hopes and dreams, the loss of provision, the loss of relationships... See, we have to be close enough to know what someone's mourning to mourn with them, but we also need to be a safe enough person for those things to be shared with us. Are you a safe person? Is it safe to share the reality of pain? Will you safely hold and share someone's pain? Will you mourn as they mourn? But see, I think the other side of this mourning is just as difficult. Because some of us don't see a safe person anywhere we look. Somebody who's safe enough to share those kinds of hurts and griefs with. I hear pretty regularly from people, oh, you know, everyone's got problems, so, you know, I'm not going to complain, or what's the point of sharing mine? I don't want to burden anybody else. <laughs> well, it's true, everyone's got problems. 
part of the whole problem of sin and humanity. But see, the point of sharing those is to carry them with one another, to share each other's burdens and then to lift and hold each other up. It's what our own bodies do. Right? When we have a sprained ankle, the whole body responds, doesn't it? The mouth screams because it hurts. The brain sends signals to the immune system to release whatever has to be released for the swelling to happen. Right? It releases chemicals to deal with the pain. The neurological system sending messages back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes when I've sprained my ankle and my ankle hurts, my hip hurts on the other side. The whole body responds in order to respond to the pain. And if we don't let others into our mourning and our pain, it's kind of like cutting off this part of this body, the neurological system altogether, and missing out on all of the resources that are intended to bring support. Are you letting people in? Does anyone know you like this? Your hurts, your losses, your grief. Because full life is doing life together in all of it, in the triumphs and the failures, the rejoicing and the mourning, the hoping and the disappointment. But it's more. It's more than that emotional sharing. It's holistic. Full life, sharing life is holistic. Paul says in verse 13, he says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Actually, it's probably better translated, pursue hospitality. In other words, don't wait for people to come to you with their needs. Go and seek them out, find them, and meet their needs, their very real, physical, tangible needs. And the early church was amazing at this. If you read through the book of Acts, you see this incredible community. Because they held their property in common. I know that sounds dangerously close to communism. But the big difference was it was voluntary. That regularly people would, would sell their property that they owned, sell their fields, and they would bring the proceeds of that sale, lay it at the apostles' feet who would then distribute it to anyone who had need so that there was no one who had need in the early church. They were known for their radical generosity, for their intensity of care for one another in very real, physical, tangible ways. And this is full life. It's costly. But it's amazing and it's secure because it's knowing that the community will look after us and we will look after them. I'll tell you, some of our immediate neighbors in this area do this incredibly well. Our Orthodox neighbors live this out in powerful ways. There are no hungry among the Orthodox because they prioritize making sure that their community is fed. Often when a young couple gets married, they'll have free housing because another couple or another family will bring them in and allow them to stay rent-free in their basement while that couple saves money until they can have enough to have the opportunity to then buy their own home and then they can turn around and they can host another couple. I mean, what an amazing display, inspiring and challenging to Jesus' church, to see a community that's sharing their needs holistically. Because full life is meant to be in community, but it's costly to us emotionally, costly physically, but it also can be at times costly to our reputation and our comfort. 
Because Paul said, don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. In other words, don't just serve them, do nice things for them, and then go home. Associate with them. Have close, real relationships. Share life with those in low position, in humble position. Or you could translate it, seek humble positions. And so the question becomes for us, who is low for you? Who's in that lowly position? Who do you find, maybe, that you don't want to associate with? Maybe they're annoying. Maybe they're frustrating to you. Maybe they're uncomfortable because there are all sorts of people in low positions because they have attitudes and behaviors that are challenging to us. And relationships are messy. Who are you associating with? I had a friend who was a pastor at a church in Atlanta, and they realized that immediately around their church was a huge homeless population. And so they decided that they were going to minister to this population. And so they opened their doors and they began to do ministry. And of course, initially they thought about providing food and clothing and socks is a huge need among the homeless. Well, then, then they started coming into worship. And they started showing up regularly because they started to feel like, hey, this was their church too. And it started to make people feel uncomfortable because they didn't smell the same or they didn't look the same. And some people thought that they were dangerous. But the leadership refused to give in to the pressure and the sinful human impulse to put the lowly aside and instead enfolded them very intentionally into the life of the church. They began a study where they invited everybody to join around the issues of poverty. They invited the homeless to serve in their ministries, to even serve in the committees and leadership of the church because they were seeing in them, they were seeing the body in them. They were seeing the image of God in them. And man, it was transformative. It was transformative for them to associate with one another because they learned with and from one another and their faith in Christ was deepened even as it was challenged and as they were humbled. (laughs) Who are those that, if they walked in right now, might make you feel uncomfortable? If they walked into a group that you're a part of, who would be uncomfortable to associate with? Man, full life though is right there in that messiness sharing and community together. And the thesis for this whole passage that Paul has given was the very first part of the very first verse. He said, love must be sincere. (laughs) In other words, love, love must be genuine. It can't be hypocritical. It needs to be authentic. In other words, the outward actions of our love need to match the inward desire and state of our heart. (laughs) And it's to love, not as the familial love from earlier. This is the godlike, sacrificial, agape love that Paul is saying. I mean, when I start looking at my life, I, I, I mean, I know I don't love with that kind of sincerity all the time. I don't know if it's a lot of the time. And we can, we can look and we can go, man... I see often my failure, and is it better that we would be kind and act lovingly outward and be inwardly a mismatch than to match with our messiness inside? Yes. 
And yet God doesn't intend for there to be this disconnect between the outward love and the inward state of our heart. He doesn't want us to have to choose between being honest about our love and sincere about our love. He intends for those to be one and the same. But how can there be a sincerity to our love when my heart's not there? The reality is I need a heart transformation. And this happens as the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes more real to me. Because I, I, in the gospel, realize that God sent his son, Jesus, to associate with us in our lowly position, our position of sinfulness, our position of humanity, our position of finiteness. And Jesus came into this lowly humanity, entered into the sinful pool of humanity, and did life with us shared life with his disciples, rejoiced as they rejoiced, mourned as they mourned, provided for their needs, challenged them to help them grow and become more like him, and then gave his life for them and for me so that we don't have to stay in our lowly, sinful estate, but instead we are lifted up to a position of honor and glory incorporated into the body of Christ of which he is the head. And the more I understand the fullness of this gospel and what it means, the more ready I am for full life in community because this gospel humbles me in front of anyone else because I realize that only because the Son of God died for me do I have any place of honor and standing. And if that's the only hope that I have, then I cannot look at anyone else and feel any better than they are. We stand in the exact same position in our lowly estate, humbled before the reality of this God. And yet, at the same time, both lifted up to a place of honor and dignity, incorporated into his people, into his body, into his church, into his family. And now having friends that we didn't even know were friends yet. Are you going to share life with those friends? Because as you do, you'll be blessed with the full life. And you can do that in worship, but that's only barely stepping into the life in community. You can step into a small group, perhaps maybe this weekly small group, this three-week small group that's starting this week on everyday evangelism, and you can begin to share life more fully. You can get into a regular ongoing small group. You become a part of a micro group with two or three others gathering around the scripture, praying, sharing burdens, rejoicing, and mourning together. Join a prayer group or a circle. Whatever it is, share that life. Familia love. And then you'll have perhaps in that, those moments an Ellen. <laughs> or maybe you'll get to be an Ellen. Ellen was a, a part of the church that I pastored in Pittsburgh. And one day I went and I was visiting her in the ICU in the hospital because she was having complications with, I think, congestive heart failure. And so I walked in and saw her in the bed, and there was that tray table pulled up right next to the side. And as I went to check in on her and ask how she's doing, she responded, she's doing fine, and quickly changed the subject to the paper on the table, because on the paper on her little tray table was her prayer list of people from the church that she was passionately praying for, and she wanted to know how they were doing. How is he doing? How is she doing? Are they okay? Okay. Here she is in the ICU through in the midst of her trial, but lifting others up before the Lord because she was doing life with them. And she knew they were praying for her and she was praying for them desperately. See, that's doing life together. 
rejoicing, mourning, sharing the burdens, sharing the triumph, sharing the failure. Are you doing life like that? What other believers are you sharing life with? Because as you do, we will together experience more of the full life from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this invitation to be a part of your body, to be incorporated into your family, to experience the richness of full life in community, and yet we acknowledge for lots of reasons we're resistant, we're unable, we're conditioned, whatever it is, we're not fully living out this beautiful reality. Lord, give us the courage. Make us safe people. Allow us that gift of experiencing the gospel that we will be humbled before you and before others, that we could see in one another your, the image of you and the gift of being enfolded and incorporated in your body together. Lord, lead us into that full life that is in community with one another as we share life together through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.